pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 313. Today I'm going to chat with Travis Haglund from Beretta, discuss recent developments in the rare breed case, highlight Liberty Safe's big blunder, and talk about a man arrested for running to London. I am your host, Ava Flanell. Travis, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Ava. It's a pleasure being on. I'm really excited. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you on. I actually, so I have to ask, like I saw in your email, you have a New York address and then you obviously called me earlier before the show, New York phone number. And I'm just like, so do you live in New York city? My wife and I just recently moved out of New York city. We, I've been in the New York area for just over a decade. I moved to the New York area in 2009. So yes, I was in New York. We were in Harlem. And we just recently moved over across the bridge to Inglewood, New Jersey. Oh, so nice. If you're local of the tri-state area, you'll probably know where that's at. Yeah, exactly. And like yep. literally in New Jersey, people are like, oh, wow, how could you just like move? You know, I mean, even when I lived in New York City, I worked for the New York Yankees. And my okay. boss at the time, he lived in Connecticut and he commuted to work every day. So a lot of those states are actually like really easy to commute to and, yep. you know, to and back. So the- that's true. They're very good commuting states. I mean, in my office for uh, with Brett, I, I office out of our a retail location in, in Manhattan on Madison Avenue. So we have the Brownstone there at 63rd of Madison. And I have an office there is where I spend a couple of days a week when I'm not out traveling. Perfect. Okay. Well, yeah. before yeah. we talk more about Beretta and everything that you do, let's hear from our sponsor real quick, BSF Barrels. I've talked about their awesome carbon fiber barrels before, but they also make compensators. The design goes perfectly with the style of their barrel, but they look great on other barrels as well. They have long ports on the top two thirds of the comp for eliminating muzzle rise and additional ports straight out the front to help keep the recoil impulse linear. They are about two inches long, but if you're ordering them with a BSF barrel, they can pin and weld them. So like on a 14.5 inch barrel to be compliant for a rifle, all you have to do is request that when ordering your barrel and comp from BSF barrels. They make them for a variety of different calibers. And if you use the code ELITE15, E-L-I-T-E-1-5, you're going to get 15% off and that is BSF barrels.com learn the things you never knew on deconstructing the industry travis tell me what your position at beretta is so at Beretta, I'm the what's considered the director of premium and PB selection, which effectively equates to our higher end, our premium and luxury firearms. And it's generally within the shotgun. And we do have a single pistol that's considered at the premium luxury level. And I also look over our retail division, which we have two full freestanding stores in the, in the United States, one in Dallas, Texas and Highland Park Village, and then one in Manhattan on 63rd and Madison. So, so I get to oversee the retail side and the premium luxury side. So we have a good group of network dealers out there 
travel to a lot of different sporting clay events and work with private events to garner high net worth individuals and kind of talk to them about how they can create a story through our firearms. So I really love what I do because I get to work in a very niche part of Beretta mm-hmm. um, and kind of work in our crafted area. I work with our artisans mm-hmm. on the Italian side, from woodworkers, engravers, and case makers, and then make stories come to life. Nice. So, I like that. One, yeah. I, I didn't realize that there was a store in Breda until I had you guys on previously. And I don't think, okay. I mean, I lived in New York City for eight years and I was like, I never even noticed yep. that. Although I guess even if I saw it, it wouldn't have registered just because Red, yep. <laughs> you just don't associate guns in New York City or anything it, remotely that revolves around guns. This is very true. The most common thing we hear is like, you have a store in New York, you have a store. And we're like, yes, we've had a store for almost 30 years now. <laughs> 2025 will mark 30 years of us having a retail location in New York City. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, New York's got a very, New York now is very anti-gun, but back in the 40s and 50s, there was about 40 plus FFLs or firearm gun dealers just on the island of Manhattan. Now we're the only one in Manhattan. There's only Beretta left on Manhattan. I mean, you used to be able to walk into Abercrombie and Finch and buy a shotgun in New York, uh, in the city. So people forget that Abercrombie and Finch, before they became the teenage hype brand that they were for high schoolers, they were actually an outfitter for African safaris. And Hemingway used to frequent their location when he'd come to the city. So, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, that that goes back to the 40s and 50s um, when he'd come into the city. And then Breda... We've had our location since we opened in 1995 at 718 Madison Avenue. And it's a brownstone. Uh, It's a very narrow entrance. You'll blink and walk by it and you won't know that it's a gun shop because we have our lifestyle apparel and our technical apparel on the first two floors. But if you do find your way up to the third floor, you'll find a magical oasis in the middle of New York City. We have a full gun room, working gunsmithing shop up there. And it's open to the public and you can come in, you can look around, walk through and even purchase a firearm in New York City. Wow. Um, yeah, it's uh, we do not actually the only thing we are limited in not carrying, we, we do not carry our pistol line. So we do not have that on display in New York City. Uh, it's really challenging to make it on display. Mm-hmm. Won't go into the laws and the regulations there, but we do carry all of our long guns. So rifles and shotguns. Interesting. I definitely want to check yeah. it out. I've been meaning to go back to New York. It's been a little while. I don't know. I should just go and tour it and maybe make yeah. a video about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's I think coming, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great visit to come. Uh, we notice a lot of uh, people coming from, uh, you know, tourists just in America come and visit our shop. You'll get the hook to go see a Broadway play and the husband or the wife will want to anchor themselves and come to the gallery Mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of walk through and and see. Because we carry, the gallery isn't just Beretta. It carries a full line of the Beretta holding group. So we carry Sacco and Tika and Benelli, Franchi, Chapuis, and we do carry Manheran and the revolver. So we we carry the full breath Burris and Steiner Optics. We do carry some Soger and Cattleman Ranch guns out of our Dallas location. So we're actually uh, the showcase and the retailer for the Breda Holding Group. 
um, which makes it uh, exciting as a consumer because you can see everything. And generally, the latest uh, product that the group is is promoting or putting out on market, we will be one of the first locations in the country to be able to uh, have it and showcase it. So, Travis, I have to ask, before you got into working with Blenda, Mm -hmm. what were you doing previously? (laughs) That's a... kind of funny. I was actually teaching right before Beretta, but I have a different trajectory. I can walk you back. I was teaching um, down in SCAD at Savannah College of Art and Design briefly for one semester, but that was an interlude. I was, I've was i been in the retail game for just over a decade with Ralph Lauren, with a brand called Thomas Pink, which is part of it, the LVMH group. Way back, I grew up in the hunting business. My family raises English Springer Spaniels. We raise the hunting dogs, and we're coming up on our 50th year of, of raising that and having that as a family business. We have a hunting operation in South Dakota. So I grew up in that space. My dad inserted a skeet field, which if you're familiar with skeet, it's that half moon. It's an Olympic sport where you have the high and the low house, clay targets, crisscross in the middle. My dad inserted that in, our, in a field of ours across from where our house was for my brothers and I to compete and to become better wing shooters. Nice. We grew up doing that Sunday mornings, weekends, uh, weekday afternoons. So it was a big wing shooter. This is basically a farm in Northern Minnesota is what I grew up on. Then I went off to college, got very interested in consumer behavior and retail, went into that career path, yeah, almost 15 years. And then eventually Kind of circled back around. I mean, I had put in my head, like, at some point, I want to work with it back in the firearms industry, work with one of the leading firearms brands, kind of more on their retail consumer luxury side of things. Mm-hmm. And this role kind of came open or the conversation sort of came open over a two-year period of time. And I was able to kind of bridge and circle back. And now I work with Beretta at the high end of the market for them in their the, the division and kind of can bridge that old. When I was young... I took a detour into fashion, retail, and luxury, mm-hmm. um, and then I was able to kind of bridge both of those back here at Breda. So it's actually, it feels home nice. to me now. And I've been here just about seven years. I joined December of 2016. Wow. That's incredible. That's a yeah. great story. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about the history of Breda. So Breda is the oldest firearms manufactured still in operation today, right? Yes, it, it is true. It's also, it has holds the title of the oldest industrial firm of any sort. There's only like two firms in the world that are older. One of them is a a Japanese hospitality like hotel firm that was founded in the 900s. And they're still managed and operated by the same family. Uh, So Breda is the oldest. It dates back. We have a receipt that says we sold barrels uh, to the basically Venice in 1526. We found that receipt. Some indications said we started dating ourselves to the 1600s, but then through some archives, they were able to find this receipt that dated us back to 1526. Wow. But for me, it goes further back than that because Bartolomeu Beretta is the one that actually sold this to the Dodge of Venice. The Dodge of Venice is effectively the Department of Defense. In the 1500s, Venice was the most powerful city-state. They're an importer or a trader. And they had their arsenals and they had, they found Beretta and Bartholomew was creating a really high quality product, uh, barrel, incredible safe uh, barrel performance. We're selling it here. And so Bartholomew was in his, we think in his late twenties, early thirties. Um, but at this point, he had to have already had a reputation and he have are to be a gunsmith or a 
iron worker of that period, you had to have been the firstborn son of somebody already in that guild. So we, there is belief that the Beretta family have been doing this longer than 1526, but we have physical proof of, of a transaction that occurred in 1526. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Kind of fun. And, I mean, there's. If you think about that, that's like we're coming up on 500 years of the company in 2026, and uh, you know, in little over, little over 24 months, we'll be 500 years old as a company. And yeah, there's a lot of things that happened over 500 years. And America was recently founded, or actually was being found by Christopher Columbus shortly before. There's rumors that Christopher Columbus had a bread on board, uh, so it hasn't been verified from that standpoint. But I lost my train of thought now where I was going, but that's where my brain happens sometimes. <laughs> I'm um, like, that's what happens when we get older. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, welcome to my world. This happens to me way um, too often. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where am I going with this story? But um, the, yeah, I mean, it, it, the fact that we're 500 years old coming up on that is amazing. The other thing I also think about is, you know, America, the United States here, we're going to turn 250 years old. And the same time, Breda turns 500 years old. Yeah, that's incredible. That is like, that's yeah. really, it's really hard to like wrap your mind around that. Yep. It, yeah. it is. And it's really hard. And then you meet the family that is still operating. I mean, it's the, the 16th generation is starting to get involved in the business. I mean, Carlo Beretta is in his late, mid late 20s. He's getting involved in the business. I mean, his, his father is the head of Beretta for us right now, both uh, the Italian company and the U.S. company. And you know, he's been stewarding the ship and, you know, for since his father brought uh, and created what we know right now is what I'm employed at is Beretta USA. Uh, so his, uh, so Franco's father, Ugo Gisali Beretta, is the one that is the one that brought Beretta to the United States established them in Akakik, Maryland, and then uh, secured the contract with the military in 1985. And then that's really what kind of gave the trajectory for mm -hmm. Breda in the United States. So the military contract had that up through effectively 2017, and that's when the transition started, the recent transition. I mean, that's a 30-year 30, run, 32-year run with the military in terms of the sidearm that's mm -hmm. issued to every military member. So it's actually, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And then the network that they have within the holding group, like there's Finnish partners, there's German partners, there's Australian partners, there's, you know, companies that are over in the Eastern Bloc and Amotech now being part of the group. It's just, it's just amazing to see how this group has grown and then kind of the, the vision uh, that the family has and being being able to work directly with the 15th generation family member is also mind-blowing. I, I mean, know. It's like, this is amazing to think that, you know, you sit there and you look at this family tree that they have in our in both our offices in Italy and here in the United States. Like, you look at that lineage and goes down and like, holy shit. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I was actually you know. just thinking about. So I want to come yeah. back to that real quick. I'm going to take a quick break, talk about Gators sure. iPro. Gators just announced that they're bringing back the Delta glasses in the limited Jack Carr edition. Jack Carr, author of the Terminal List and former SEAL, has been wearing Gators since the late 90s. And characters in the show wear them as well, just for authenticity. 
The Jack Carr edition is the rugged Delta series in all black with Jack's signature cross tomahawk logo and polarized smoke lens. They just announced them, so keep an eye out for them. In the meantime, check out the other styles. They have a lot of great stuff out there. Use the URL gators, G-A-T-O-R-Z dot com forward slash Ava, A-V-A, and that's going to get you 15% off your entire order. I was actually thinking about this as somebody who's Mm -hmm. been raised in a family business and my sister and I were always raised to, I mean, I just remember my parents, they were like, yep, one day all of this is going to be yours. And my parents did a few businesses together. And it's interesting that one, you know, I think sometimes I think my sister and I, even just growing up knowing that it's kind of like, okay, cool. I guess this is my destiny. So like, we can't really, you know, branch out and like, well, what if we don't want to do this? What if we don't want to work in the firearms industry? Mm-hmm. And then there's also a lot of, you know, internal conflict sometimes with families. I mean, let's face it, not all families are mm-hmm. perfect. And at this point, I would probably bet that like my sister actually probably gets the family business because of a lot of different things that have happened when I'm okay with it. But it's, you know, even... Yeah. Even what comes to mind is watching the movie, I think it was like House of Gucci and just kind of seeing how that all played out. And, you know, so for them to just maintain this business for it was was it 15 or 16 generations? Well, their 15th generation is the current management organization right now. They're the head of the the group, Mm -hmm. the 15th generation. So there's a pair of brothers that are basically running the entire organization that everybody in the group reports to one of the other brother and they have it. The organization is divided between the two of them, the 16th generation. So Branco Giusali Beretta is, uh, is our kind of who we report to in my structure and his son, Carlo is the oldest of the 16th generation. His brother Pietro Beretta has a daughter. And so they're in the 16th generation. It would be to your point, be amazing to have just any sort of insight on any sort of the fun conversation. I call them fun conversations that the family would have had at different stages over the years. I really do have to commend them though, because they really put on this amazing conversation and just the external what you, we hear inside the organization or what we even hear externally we just hear about this symbiotic relationship of how the organization moves forward they make slow calculated decisions and that's really part of the magic of how they've been able to move forward there's nothing that they're focused on making sure things come out in a really high quality that they're focused on making sure that the, the product is developed for the consumer right those are all things that companies can do they just have figured out how to guide and, and, you know, who we don't know. We don't hear anything, rumors or conversations that have happened internally, you know, because you've made reference to the, you know, the Gucci family movie and you just kind of see that come out and you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's an Italian family, right? Beretta's an Italian family mm-hmm. and, you know, they're X times older than the Gucci family, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so yeah, the 16th generation is, and I do know Carlo, he's never really had any pressure to be part of the family. And I know Franco would originally never had any, they're not pressuring the kids to come into the family business. They uh, give them that opportunity. And most of the time, I, you know, I think you just kind of go into it, you learn about it and you want to, you want to carry it forward. Right. Because it, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to carry that forward? 
from my perspective, like coming from a family business, you know, first generation for me as well. My father started the business, two brothers, one of them's very much in it. He's operating it. And I can see the the succession happening that way. And it's just like, okay, just le- just seeing what's happening there. And this is, and I'm working in another family business for somebody else that's had that succession planned 16 different times. Mm-hmm. It's gone to uncles and it's come back around. You know, it's never really left the Breda lineage, but it's gone to like an uncle, not directly a direct descendant, that type of thing over the time to keep it within the family. And there's been a few in the 1920s is really the first Pietro Breta in the 20s was the visionary that kind of turned it into more of an international industrial company. At that time, they were more of a boutique firearms manufacturer, barrel manufacturer for a lot of different companies. He started to industrialize it in the early 1900s uh, and 1920, you know, our brand markets evolved a few different times, but he, this is where he started really making an over and under shotgun. And it's been focused on that way for, we still make an over and under shotgun initially. And this is where I play in the over and under shotgun world and, and love that, that component of it. But one thing that was being taken through the, as one side story, you can stop me at any point if I ramble too far off course, but one side story is walking through the museum over there. I was getting a walk through by Franco Beretta. And he had pulled some of these uh, specific pistols out at the time because we were we're looking at our APX, which is APX A1. APX is is Breda's striker fire polymer frame pistol. You know, and striker fire's got the we're really known for hammer fire metal frame, right? And we have this lineage that goes to the early 20s um, for metal frames. But he was showing me specifically this one. It was still a hammer fire, but the hammer was hidden. So when you looked at it, it sort of looked like a striker fire. I mean, in my brain, I'm like, hmm. So we sort of pre-pioneered the striker fire and, and just how I'm thinking about it, but it's not accurate because the mechanism is slightly different, but how they, and I'm just like, we hit it and it was, you just pulled it back to slide just like you do in the striker fire now and it no, no hammer, but internal mechanism. So it's just fun to see all the different things we've tried over the years and then in the 50s, we have a gun up in New York. So when you do come to New York, I have to show you the Hemingway gun. Ernest Hemingway has purchased uh, purchased an over and under to hunt ducks in the canals of Venice. We have that gun from the Hemingway estate in New York on display. Oh, wow. um, and that's just another iconic firearm in our history. Very cool. Let's talk about like a few more of like the highlights from yep. the history of the company. Like I know, I think was it 1918, Breda, like they made one of the first machine guns in the world. Yes. You know? I mean that, so <laughs> even now you're speaking a little outside of my, uh, my wheelhouse here. So I, that one, I won't, I'm not going to be able to really speak to, I'm sure that we that did. Was, yeah. Yeah. The space I like to play in is where I'm at right now. And I'm, we, we talk about making one of one firearms, like we, and it's on the shotgun side, um, yeah. really. And so the historical firearms that have made us iconic, that's not, unfortunately, I don't yeah. have any. No, absolutely. I totally yeah, get it. Space that way. And then also, so you may or may not know, but Brett has been like, has created some obviously like true quintessential guns, like the 92 series, which. Yep. I think there's been over 3.5 million produced and it's been used yep. in just about every country, which is pretty incredible. That's like, that's pretty yeah. impressive. I mean, 
that that one I obviously you have to know about that if you're if you're a fan of firearms or even a, an employee of Beretta because it's that made us in the United States the 92 yeah. uh, series is the sidearm the military and is really a chosen sidearm for most militaries or law enforcement uh, throughout the world almost in the armed conflict um, probably on both sides they were probably carrying or likelihood that they were carrying a 92 uh, series pistols is extremely probable. In my world, we make a version of that 92, and it's called the Fusion. Everything about that, the Fusion is hand-assembled, hand-timed, uh, hand-polished, and actually handmade. So the componentry is uh, industrialized, but then everything is then hand-tolerant, polished, and assembled for the 92 Fusion. We make a very limited series of that. We usually do them in batches of less than 100 and wow. uh, sequentially serialize them. And we're coming out, we're launching next year, basically five units of a DLC, so a diamond-like carbon treatment to the fusion, which then reduces all friction and reduce and is basically corrosion resistant in a way of what the, the diamond-like carbon treatment does to the metal that it's adhered to. And we've adhered it to the, the whole frame, the slide, and we're putting carbon fiber grips on it. So that's uh, right. Carbon fiber and or wood ebony based on the consumer because each unit is going to an end consumer already pre-sold. It's so, incredible. So that's, yeah. what, what comes to mind as you're talking about all this is I had Rock Island Armory Auctions on oh, the yeah. podcast yep. a while back. And I also, uh, there was a few events where, you know, I talked to him and interviewed him and he was showing me some shotguns that he was like, yeah, this shotgun's worth like $50,000. And I'm like, yeah. what? Like, who's spending $50,000 on one shotgun? And he said that, you know, some people, like, they will only buy one gun their entire life, which yep. is still 50000 a lot. And so you guys are making, because you work on the premium end, you guys are creating these firearms that yep. are, you know, going to be worth a lot. I mean, I always said yep. guns are a, a great investment. They've continued yep. to, you know, increase over time. But then you're creating these you know, like one of a kind or one of 100 guns that people are, are yeah. actually collecting and, or, you know, maybe they are like that one person where they just really enjoy like high-end shotguns that are just finely tuned and they're just a piece of art. And so yeah, and that, that, that you're hitting on a couple of different points there. I mean, there people will buy for a collecting standpoint, just to kind of put an investment in there because it will, it will increase in value over time or people are looking for some sort of art piece there or they're looking for, you know, a limited run or a series or they're, they're really looking for some sort of unique story on there. And this is where, you know, as on the Breda piece, we do the limited series. Naturally, the, the fusion is, is something that we do. We've done five. Let me think. We've done the Inox, the black, the blue, and now we have the, OCP one coming out and then DLC. So we've done a series of these and every other year because it, it takes us from a R and D perspective and then a build perspective about two years to actually make these limited series guns uh, from a pistol standpoint. So every couple of years we come up with this limited series and then we have the, the collectors and, and people come and purchase them for us. The fusion and just from a price point perspective is at $15,000. The DLC one that's limited of five is opening at thirty thousand dollars. Wow! Um, and then we on the shotgun side. So I'm going to back up for a second. Beretta to meet the 
what's super exciting about Beretta is that we make everything from a $300 pistol that you can go into, you know, the Sportsman's Warehouse, the Shield, the Bass Pro, Cabela's, or your local gun dealer and purchase that, you know, for your home defense, self-defense, or target practice, uh, just your own pleasure. We can also, we work every price point in between there up over $200,000. Our top-end shotguns that are custom-built for you, bespoke, made for you and telling your story, can easily eclipse the $200,000 mark. And that's it. You know, that's a, a side lock shotgun where the, the, the firing mechanism is on either side of the shotgun. So instead of what the box lock, which is in the center of the shotgun, the firing pin, the actual mechanical mechanism, when you pull that trigger that moves the hammer and clicks forward and creates that explosion, that's on the side of the shotgun on either side for the top or the bottom barrel. So it becomes like it's a fine watch in that way, a mechanical watch movement on either side. And then it's the engraving, the number of hours that takes to engrave, and then the wood choice. So wood, those two are things that are extremely rare. If there's ever a chance and and you you ever want to get into seeing the wood side of things and how rare the texturing of the wood is and how hard it is to find that wood. uh, We have a wood room in Italy. We walk in at the big humidor. You walk through wood's very personal. Um, If you've ever chosen wood cabinets or chairs or tables, everybody's got an opinion what they like and they don't like. Mm -hmm. So we, we try to sculpt that personal decision there. We have our artisans that work engraving, enameling, which is basically, I don't know if you're familiar with enameling or that process, you take metal, remove it from a spot in a shape that you want to fill in, and then you start lightly painting, similar to nail polish, like just like layer over layer, slow over time, and building up that enamel. I've seen our enamelists basically this take the size of the palm of your hand in that center bit that size there she had to put a black labrador retriever had a red collar she was using a picture that the customer sent in and said i'd like to have my dog on the bottom of the gun sure no problem we can do that for you when you look really closely at the picture that was sent to her you could see the owner reflection in the dog's eye is snapping the picture with his iphone or smartphone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She is putting that in, the enameling, on the bottom of the receiver of the shotgun. So it's without showing you the size of the receiver, I'm trying to visualize it. It's smaller than the size of the inside of your palm. I mean, it's it's inch and a quarter by maybe two inches at most. That's the size of the Labrador. And then you can imagine the size of the eye and then trying to paint inside that the reflection of the owner in there. It's just, it's, it's a magical art that comes to life and it's functional. These guys will go out and use this gun. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I can continue talking about these stories because we have, we have this one, we just, this year, the pinnacle of it was what we call the SL322 Common. And that it, we were celebrating the finding of 22 Common's tomb. It was commissioned in 2020. 22 and delivered in 2023. So in 2022 is the hundred year anniversary of the finding of Tutu Common's tomb, the, the boy, the boy Pharaoh, the boy king. And our engraver went over to Cairo, toured the tomb, toured the whole area, came back and sketched out 
what's called the Tutu comment gun. And I did, uh, I'll message it to you so you can see it. Is, uh, it's the, the engraving and the story that's told on the side is the story of Tutu Kamen, Egyptian culture. It has the Anak on there. It has the Anubis, which is the, the Lord of the underworld. And then um, the two gods, the God of the sky and the God of the underworld. And then it has the Sphinx on there, the Great Pyramids, Luxor, which is the Valley of the Queens. I mean, it's all engraved on the side of this firearm um and it's an absolute amazing piece of art that at the end of the day is functional and you can go out and hunt birds with it if the owner so chooses and that was that followed dante which we did uh that we did an homage to dante's in the renaissance and then Frono, his famous art piece and before that we did a what's called vittoria alta it was just an homage to a statue that was a Roman statue from the 800s that happened to be in Russia. Russia is the the biggest little city next to Gardone. It starts up the valley where it's, let's say, the gateway to Beretta. <laughs> so it, we just have these, these lineages of stories that we continue to tell, all one of one guns. So this goes back to the value investment of a gun. We look to create a one-of-one gun for you as a consumer. We also look for unique stories out there in the market, tell that story, and then present it to the collectors or enthusiasts that find things like this of interest. I was wondering what you meant by, you know, create stories within the firearm. And I just figured, oh, create memories, you know, that people use this firearm for. And now I'm yeah. looking at some of the attachments that you emailed me and all of the artwork. And it's just like, I mean, yeah. the detail is just incredible. If listeners want to check this out, because I went yeah. to the website, where can they see like all of these like fine details? I know that on the website, it's there's premium guns. Yep. And and so if they go to Beretta.com, E-N, but if you're ring fenced in the United States, you have to delete the dash U.S., and then you can go to the Italian Beretta.com website, go under Pietro Beretta PB selection, and then there'll be a drop down. They'll have most all of the firearms there listed out. You know, they'll have the Fusion DLC. I know they have Mark Newson, which told the story uh, there. We should have the Chitu Common present there as well. We won't have the Italian cities, which is another one I, I sent to you. But I'm more than happy if any of your listeners are interested and want to see the the PDF that I shared with you, I can share them with them uh, to see the detail. Because when you, like, I can't describe it in, in much detail. I don't have the vernacular to be able to deliver the beauty that's yeah. beauty on it. Because if you look at the one Italian cities and you see the Roman legion I know. Um, there, or you see the gladiator and you see his hair like as he's leaning down after a battle in, you know, in the Colosseum, mm-hmm. like it's absolutely stunning. I mean, that's on the Roman gun. Then there's the other one, which is Florence and Venice. And that, that great is what's enameled in that coloring. You can see the masks of, of Florence and Venice uh, combined. So those two guns in my mind tell the story, right. Of Rome, Venice and Florence. So Rome, Venice and Florence are really important cities to, I would say, to us in modern times. Rome, because of the way they structured the government mm-hmm. and their organization, we've followed that model, Senate, the House, you know, 
sort of central leadership. We followed that model in a way. We could debate if it's good or bad right now, but it's, we followed that model. Florence and Venice sort of started the Renaissance. They started the thinking of culture and the thinking of how we brought everybody out of the dark ages that brought us into this enlightenment and this future-looking thought, which is kind of now our Silicon Valley, how we look forward to technology and, and the future of where we're going to be, good, bad, or indifferent. But the other thing about Florence, the Medici family is from Florence, which started modern banking, which is effectively our financial system of today, Is was birth in Florence. These two guns, those, those the two guns that represent these three cities, also represent our modern times but they're 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 highlighting that moment in history and how influential those cities were to us now. And that's to me that's the power of the storytelling mm-hmm. that Beretta has taken on these high-end shotguns. And so we can tell any story on a firearm that you have an interest in. We basically have a process where you can reach out to one of our gallery team members, you reach out to myself, and we have specialists that deal only with individuals that want to tell a story. And we, we bespoke build a gun for you. You get to choose pretty much every aspect of it and direct the engraving, directly work with our engravers, directly work with our woodworkers, directly work with our bail maker and case maker to highlight everything so that the case for tutu common it's a tomb and it's lasered gold leaf and hand painted and inside it's the linen that you would wrap a mummy in uh, and that's what the gun sits in mm-hmm. so the gun is effectively the pharaoh anyway interesting um, i want i want yeah. my dog peaches on a shotgun you want what my dog peaches on a shotgun I was like trying to just act all, you know, serious and not say that I'm kidding just to see what your reaction. But I mean, it would be kind of cool, but we, we can do that. We have the, one of the most common things is to have a, a consumer's dog on, on, uh, on the firearm. It's well, usually done in the center bottom. I mean, especially um, because of shotguns, right? Because when yeah, you're hunting yeah. and it kind of goes along with a dog, I mean, peaches yeah. isn't much of a hunter, but, you know, nobody hey, has to know, you know that. We could just pretend. Exactly. She's just a little that. chihuahua. Could, it, <laughs> yep. But. Yep. I mean, uh, one of the other ones we recently did was for, uh, you, your listeners may know, you may know it, the gentleman, but he came to fame through the movie Rocky. And we did a Rocky montage gun. And we celebrated the five different Rockies, the Oscar, uh, the famous scenes on both sides. We worked with him for a period of time to determine what engraving style he liked, mm-hmm. how he wanted to display it. What imagery did he want to see on the gun that was most memorable to him? We developed a, a unique case to him. He did a wonderful post for us. That we did not do once the gun was delivered to him. He was incredibly enthused that we were able to memorialize one of his most uh, iconic and pride-filled, I would say pride-filled ventures. Because, you know, he wrote Rocky and thought of it and held it out and wanted to star in it. They told him no in the beginning and he held out and eventually he he won. He won out and that set his career forward. You know, that's Mm -hmm. how Stallone got going. Hmm, Interesting. Anyway, I'm going to take another quick break. Talk about Mantis. (laughs) 
if you want to take your dry fire to a whole new level, definitely check out the Mantis X10. And actually, if you add the X10, you could also live fire with it as well. The X10 is Mantis's latest generation of shooting performance systems, smaller and lighter than previous versions, and has a longer battery life. They mount directly to a Picatinny rail, or if you don't have that, they have base plates to go under the bottom of your magazine. The X10 gives you an incredible amount of data on your shooting performance, both from dry fire and live fire. It's the only shooting measurement tool around that does both dry fire and live fire. In addition, it also does holster draw analysis and works with archery. The sensors in the little module tell you all about your trigger squeeze and what you're doing wrong and how to fix it. So it's a really great device if you'd like to improve your shooting. And I don't know anybody who has, you know, tried it out, practiced with it, and then didn't greatly improve just within a few minutes after using it. If you want to check out any of these devices, like the X10, head on over to mantisx.com. Kind of wrapping things up a little bit, although I could talk about this for days because I just think it's so interesting. (laughs) Do you guys have, I'm pretty sure you guys have plans for like the 500, 500th anniversary coming up. Is there any details that you can share with us or is it still kind of like hush hush? There are definitely plans moving. We're trying to determine how big we go and where we end up in the U.S. from an event standpoint. Firearm wise, we're definitely coming out with something uh, unique. Uh, in my world, we're going to have a whole new platform coming forward, uh, at least in the space that I operate in the high end competition and high end firearms. But we're definitely, we like limited series guns to celebrate time periods. So we'll have limited series runs for sure. What and how, I'm going to keep that to myself for now. But yeah, the, the product team, we have an amazing product team on both sides of the pond here in the United States and Italy. And they've been working diligently. I was literally over in Italy it was 14 days ago now, kind of reviewing some of the things pertinent to my world, but I also got a sneak peek of some of the things that they're, they're creating. It's going to be really an exciting year for us uh, in 2026. Very nice. And for mm-hmm. anyone who wants to check out the website or follow you guys on social media, what are the handles for the U S? Um, Beretta USA for social uh, at Beretta USA on Instagram, Beretta.com for the United States as well. And if you, I also, the retail side has Beretta Gallery USA.com is a shopping site for us. And you can check out some of the high end shotguns there. If you're also looking at a new Saco 90 rifle, which has not yet hit the market, you can come learn about that on the Beretta Gallery USA.com site. We're taking pre-orders for that. We also have the BRX one. Like this, that's the fun part of the the world of Beretta. We have so many different things going on at once. Like so, anyway, the BRX one is also coming out in 2024 for the U.S. market and U.S. threading. So we're really excited about that product. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Moving Mm -hmm. on with the rest of the show, IWI. I recently got to shoot the Carmel and I put up a video about it. If you guys want to check it on my YouTube channel, it's just youtube.com forward slash Ava Flannel. Flannel is spelled one N two L's. 
And I have to say, um, I've been really impressed with the Carmel. It's a short stroke gas piston rifle with a locking rotating bolt system for maximum safety and reliability. It comes with a M lock foreign that you can install accessories at the three, six and nine position on. It has a cold hammer forge chrome line, 16 inch free float barrel for accuracy and long life a full length top rail for mounting optics and irons. The side charging handle is reversible, super easy to reverse it. So they can be completely ambidextrous. It has a side folding stock with variable length of pull and comb height. It also has a two position gas regulator for normal and suppressed. Best of all, they've already started shipping and are available. So Keep your eyes peeled. If you want to get one, find a distributor near you. Also, if you head on over to the website and you find anything that you want in their web store, use the coupon code GUNFUNNY15, all one word, and you are going to get 15% off. And that website is IWI.us. Today in politics. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's Travis, do you keep up to date with politics at all? Or you're just like, no, uh, I have way too much going on. I don't have time for that. <laughs> a, a little bit. <laughs> the, the, keeping up with politics is uh, it, it has a full-time job in itself. And, and so I, I try to get a little bit of news on it. I mean, the, the most recent, like, yeah, depending on what politic angle you're going to take, take right now, it could be a lot of different aspects that are happening. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I've been following the rare breed case. So DOJ wins preliminary injunction against rare breed. Unfortunately, this week, the DOJ won a preliminary injunction against rare breed triggers. No surprise. This comes from the case the DOG deliberately filed in one of the most liberal courts possible, the Brooklyn District Court. The DOJ, who previously accused rare breed of, quote unquote, judge shopping, is fine with blatantly doing it themselves. They said they picked it because Rare Breed's bank is in New York City, which, newsflash, a lot of bank headquarters are in New York. In the case, ATF falsely claims that the FRT-15 trigger was deliberately designed from the AR-1 trigger, which the ATF previously classified as a machine gun. ATF misrepresents the facts about how both operate in order to declare their illegal they're, I guess, alleged that Rare Breed knew all along that the FRT, it was still illegal. The liberal judge, newly appointed courtesy of the Biden administration and Rhino senators, agreed with all the ATF's misrepresentations in the case. The function of the trigger is demonstrably different and requires a separate action of the trigger to fire, which clearly does not meet the definition of machine guns, no matter how many times the ATF falsely testifies otherwise. So what does this mean? The preliminary injunction orders rare breed triggers and other similar companies to stop selling FRT-15s, watts, and you know, WOT, and any other forced reset trigger. It also orders them to maintain a copy of all records of sales, obviously because the ATF wants to come door to door with them. Rare breed has previously said they maintain a policy of digitally shredding everything, which is good news. This preliminary injunction from New York comes a little over a week after Rare Breed was granted a temporary restraining order against the ATF's classification of the FRT as a machine gun by the Fifth Circuit. There, the judges believe that the plaintiffs are likely to succeed because the function of the trigger does not meet the statutory definition of machine gun. 
final decision on a preliminary injunction in the case is expected by the end of September. What we've got here is like obviously dueling courts. And as always with these cases, we have to work our way up to SCOTUS to get it settled. We shall see, you know, how it goes over time. Caldwell. If you're into PRS shooting and you want a good shooting rest for any situation, definitely check out the TAC Driver X-Bag from Caldwell. They call it the X-Bag since it is X-shaped with leg-like parts on all corners of the cube shape like bag so that you'll get a good solid rest on just about any surface. The style is very popular for shooting in PRS matches from the many odd barricades that you have to shoot from, which Travis, have you ever partaked in any of that? Or even if you didn't do a competition, have you ever done like any sort of long range shooting? Yes, I've done some long range shooting, hunting rifles, but then also recently I was out in an event with a cylinder out in Montana and Bozeman, and I was actually shooting. Um, we got to shoot out to a mile, which was a really big fun treat. We were shooting our M10 in 338, and we also shot uh, our Tika UPR in 6.5 Creedmoor, both wow. out to a mile, which was kind of a, it's a fun, it's an amazing attribute to think about with the windage and the distance. It's a whole nother level of learning, which I'm finding very interesting. I've had some of the guys in the company take me out and kind of get me started to get the hook in me. So mm-hmm. they're reeling me into that side of the, <laughs> that side of things. So it's, it's definitely been fun. That's phenomenal. I've actually shot out to a mile. That's the longest that I've shot. And I did it with one of the Gun Funny Patreons, Melissa Writings. I was in Texas a few years ago and she let me shoot her rifle. And I only had so much time to like set it up, take a few shots because (laughs) I was there with like another company and we were about to leave the range. But it's, I mean, it's one of those things like once you do it, it's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's very satisfying and you're, you're just like, wow, I can't believe I did that because it's not as easy as it looks. But I've definitely noticed that, you know, the bags, especially the ones that Caldwell makes because they're yep. so affordable, they help so much. I mean, you it's all about just, you know, making sure that there's like zero movement with that firearm as you slowly squeeze that trigger. But then on top of that, you know, external external the, the support like, and being able to get back on target with that is really important and if i remember correctly we were reusing caldwell bags and just the fit up there to get once that recoil because getting back on target after that recoil is critical to shooting out to that mile specifically mm-hmm. in the windage call um because if it's we were shooting one of the days it was super windy so it was it's important I was being explained to this, right? He goes, you have to get back on target real quick because you need to, you need to readjust and look just in there. You can't take any time in there. And so that's what, if I remember correctly, we had the Caldwell bags out there and um, they actually performed really nice keeping on target, staying in there and then resetting up. Yeah. Nothing's Um, worse than I've had this happen to me a few times (laughs) without using bags, but like nothing's worse than like you take that hit and then yep. you're just like, wait, you're looking through your optic and you're like, <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. even find my target again. Hold yep. on. Yep. And you just, you know, after a little bit of, you know, experience, then sort, yep. you just know how to, I guess, maintain, you know, that hold. But initially when I first started out, I totally know <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. So if you yep. guys want a really good bag, definitely check out caldwellshooting.com. 
any of the bags on there, you can use the code GUNFUNNY10, all one word, and that gets you 10% off your entire order. And then Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. I don't know. Again, it's, you know, since you're not really, you're like in the gun space, but you're kind of like different. That's why I loved having you on because you're talking about something that I don't know anything about. Like it's kind of, you know, a totally different realm for me. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure that like everything that I'm doing or seeing, you know, pop up is probably news to you. But recently there's been a lot of uh, kind of drama around Liberty safes. And I don't know. I heard about that drama that came through. Uh, Yeah. All right. So it's kind of crazy. So last week, Nathan Hughes from Fayetteville, Arkansas, was raided by the FBI for protesting on January 6th, now two and a half years after the fact. He was arrested at gunpoint while his girlfriend, who had just had a miscarriage, was held at gunpoint and put in handcuffs. The FBI turned off his security cameras, unplugged his Internet and flipped his house upside down in a search. Then they called Liberty Gun Safe and asked them for the passcode to get in. His safe was an electronic model, so they simply provided them with a master code to get into the safe, which apparently there was a warrant. I don't think it was a warrant directly to gun safe. It was just a search warrant for his house. Now he's being charged with crimes related to the January 6th, even though he didn't assault anyone and he didn't vandalize anything. Literary safes responded and confirmed that they did provide them with the code. They provided a generic response that they supplied it after receiving proof that the FBI had a warrant to search the premise. Liberty said, Liberty Safe is devoted to protecting the personal property of the Second Amendment rights of our customers and has repeatedly denied requests for access codes within a warrant in the past. We do not give out combinations without proper legal documentation being provided by authorities. So in other words, they won't refuse an illegitimate warrant from a political witch hunt where there's clear, you know, esculpatory evidence mm-hmm. proving no actual crime occurred. The lawyer's response on this is, well, if it's a warrant, they have to comply. But that's not true. The warrant only applied to the man's house. For Liberty mm-hmm. to be required to turn it over, they have to be subpoenaed. Short of that, they shouldn't be giving, you know, a backdoor codes. However, after this came out, a lot of people were saying that this is kind of protocol for a lot of these electronic safes. You know, it's not just Liberty Safe. That's not to say that you can't still get into it. I mean, you know, the FBI could still get into it. They would just get a locksmith and and drill out the safe. Most owners didn't realize that, you know, obviously they have this backdoor code when you buy the electronic safes. They also say, well, it's good because if you forget your combo that they can help you get back into your safe, which I guess makes sense to a degree. Because, I mean, let's face this, safes are not inexpensive in or let's say. So I, for an example, there was somebody that I knew and he had a gun safe and sadly he died and Mm -hmm. his mom uh, who was like in her 60s or 70s was like, how do we get into the safe? And she wanted to, you know, access the safe. But again, it's one of those things where I guess it does kind of suck because, yeah, once you drill it out, like the safe, you know, I don't know of ways to it. Maybe it's just my lack of knowledge, but I don't think that there's obviously then the safes, you know, it's no good anymore. 
which that person could have sold the safe, but I don't know. So I'm kind of, yeah. I'm kind of torn yeah. on that to be honest with you, but it also does make me like weary about, let's say I order a safe from, you know, from a, a company, they now have yep. my address on file where the safe's going. Let's say some rogue employee decides to, yep. you know, I live right up the street, they break in. Yep. And, and so it's like, I don't know. Um, it, it, yeah, no, I, 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 I it's very interesting this this uh coming out with liberty and then kind of that accessing in that back door right it's similarly linked to as a few years ago when tech firms were giving the backdoor link into the as a, iphones like being used in criminal cases having access to that passcode it's a, it's a similar thing because it's accessing personal data effectively mm-hmm. right it's just call the firearms your personal data because it's it's what you want to protect as an individual you want to have this stored as yours it's your own property it's nobody else's business right this is what you need to figure out how to protect and it's a very interesting line to walk to the commentary on your address and and everything's on file now and then a backdoor safe way to access it that gets a little nerve-wracking too yeah and then i don't know if you're oh, going to go on a slight segue because here in, in New York state now starting here in the middle of September, every firearm transaction has, and you know, we call the FBI, get, you know, they do a mix check and follow that procedure there. Now the New York state's going to mandate it pass through New York state police department, the state troopers. And uh, that comes into effect on the 13th next week on September. That now every gun owner, every, I mean, sorry, not every gun owner, but every FFL has to now use the state-sponsored system as the middleman to the FBI. So effectively what this does, it sets up the ability for the state to understand where every new purchase of firearm happens. And they're also going to require this for ammunition. Wow. To me, that gets uh, making me a little nervous. Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm straight up just going to say it. I don't trust the government at all. Like I, you know, the less they know about you, the better. And yeah. So man, that is crazy. So, so basically, that's just coming out too. So anyway. if you guys want to avoid this though, obviously get a safe with a mechanical lock and then change it after you get it. But okay. So a few takeaways. So warrants are supposed to be limited in scope. It's likely they stretch the limits of the warrant tearing apart his house and searching his safe. The FBI is operating, I think, way beyond the law these days, though. So, you know, there's no surprise. And it's unfortunate that no one is curtailing their abuse of power. Same with ATF. Nathan posted a video after his arrest and said that they left his safe open, but didn't appear to have taken anything. They almost certainly recorded all of the serial numbers on his firearms, though. Basically, it's a witch hunt to try and find something else to charge him on because they know that I don't think they really have any legitimate charges. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't think that people should go and and raid the White House. You know, I think what happened on January 6th was pretty embarrassing for our country, but it's still, again, I'm kind of torn. After the backlash, Liberty turned off comments. And then on Wednesday, they issued a new statement. They're now changing their policy where customers will now have an option to request deletion of codes from their database by going to libertysafe.com forward slash pages forward slash combination dash removal. They also say that they will only provide combinations they have if they are directly subpoenaed. Question is, will that be good enough? And will people even trust that they actually delete it? 
And then on top of that, it turns out that Liberty was sold in 2021 to a liberal investment firm that donates to a lot of Democrats. They've donated the maximum amount to far left Democrats to total over $400,000 in the last few years. So that also is just like, what the hell? Like, it's just kind of mind boggling. You know, at first I kind of felt bad for Liberty Safes. And then I was like, well, if there was a warrant directly to them, like, you know, it's kind of like they have their hands tied behind their back. But then you realize, well, they actually needed to be subpoenaed. They didn't have to, you know, give up that information. And then after some digging, you realize like, okay, now who the company is owned by. And it's just like kind of gets worse and worse. On the other hand, I do appreciate them trying to make it right as quickly as possible, unlike Bud Light or any of these other companies that just do something terrible and then they just kind of like brush it off or brush it under the rug and hope that like eventually people will forget. I don't know. I mean, either way, I do think that right now, if I worked at Liberty Safe, I'd be probably dusting off my resume. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, what comes of it. And then I hopefully any of the other, like if this is the norm for a lot of safe companies to, you know, have that combo for electronic safes, like hopefully this changes because this sounds bad. I have to, you know, I would imagine that gun safes for electronic safes sales are going to go down because of this Q and a Q and a there's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Somebody asked, is it true the SIG P320M18 is California legal now? And it is true. Thanks to the recent overturn of the impossible micro stamping and safety portions of the California safety roster, SIG submitted a new California edition of the M18 and it was approved. It's an actual semi-auto version right out of the box, unlike the single-shot CA320 that Franklin Armory cleverly got on the roster. You're still stuck to obviously 10-round mags, but it's a true new modern semi-auto available on the roster to buy. So if you're in California, congrats on that. Although, I mean, it's kind of crappy to say that this is what you guys are limited to, but at least you do have the option of getting that gun now. Smith & Wesson... If you're looking for a new competition pistol, check out the competitor from Smith & Wesson. It has a 5-inch barrel with a nice long sight radius and milder recoil. This year has been enhanced for a lighter, crisper let-off, and it has a flared magwell to help make reloads faster. It has aggressive lightning cuts to reduce the weight in specific spots to improve the recoil balance point. It also comes optic-ready and includes a fiber optic front sight and blackout rear sights. The mag release is oversized and reversible. It has the same textured front strap and interchangeable palm swells as like the regular 2.0 metal and great looking tungsten gray Cerakote finish. You can get them in either the tungsten gray or just black if you just want black. Available in 17 round mags or 15 round versions if you live in restricted states. MSRP is $9.99. So if you compare that to a lot of other competition-ready firearms, it's a pretty good deal. Check it out at smith-wesson.com. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. 
Florida man arrested running to London. Reza Bellucci, hopefully I pronounced that right, was recently arrested for trying to run to London, but he wasn't overseas and he wasn't necessarily able to run. He was spotted 70 miles off the coast of Georgia by the Coast Guard in a homemade hamster wheel boat. So I had to click on this because I'm like, what does this homemade hamster wheel boat look like? And it's actually not as dinky as you would think. Okay. So the hamster wheel has a paddle wheel contraption with a bubble suspended by wires inside the wheel and a bunch of like ball floaties built in the wow. rim on both sides to keep it floating as he runs in the hamster wheel and the paddles move him along. <laughs> he started out days- <laughs> I know it's it's just like wait, wait, so how do you, how do people? My brain still <laughs> tries to figure out how this this guy thought of this contraption or even got the idea in his head that it was it was a good idea to run to London. I mean, like, maybe like, maybe he is... had a hamster and he was watching his hamster running its wheel and he was like, <laughs> Possibly, yeah. I you could know? do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he started oh, out boy. days before Hurricane Franklin hit the Caribbean and headed towards the U.S. When the Coast Guard approached the craft and tried to get him to leave, he refused. He told them that he had a Florida registration for his quote unquote vessel, but was unable to locate it. He told them his destination was London, England. It's at least, I guess, like 5,000 miles around Florida and up to London from there. The Coast Guard judged the makeshift boat as manifestly unsafe and continued trying to get him off the boat for three days. Wow. That's, that's why I was like, days. what? So at first I'm like reading this and I was like, okay, yep. yeah, three days they attempted to get him off the boat. At one point he showed them that he was armed with 12 inch knives and would attempt to kill himself if they tried to remove him. Then he allegedly <sighs> threatened to blow himself up because of all the wow. wires. They believed it to be a valid threat and called bomb disposal experts in. Again, they ordered him off and he refused, but confessed the bomb wasn't real when they tried to bring him food and water. The next day, they successfully got him off the boat and took him ashore. He'll be facing multiple charges for this. Strangely, this isn't his first attempt to run to England. He tried in a similar homemade vessel in 2014, 2016, and 2021. Which I'm just like, dude, have you not heard of yeah. like a plane ticket? Yeah, right. Plane ticket. I mean, or if he wants to travel by water, he can take a cruise. I mean, this is, and I, I also think of tax dollars well spent in terms of protecting the, you know, this, the Coast Guard having to spend three days of their time I know, trying to a, wrangle this guy off a boat. I mean, yeah, come on. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. So anytime there's like, for example, Colorado has Pikes Peak or, sure. um, you know, a bunch of mountains or something or, yep. or the incline. If anybody gets trapped up there, like maybe not trapped, but like, let's say they they didn't really think it through and they weren't physically fit or, you know, something happens, they have to be rescued. And I don't know. I've heard different things like if they do have to be rescued, they have like a pretty big fine like they are, you know, they have to pay the bill for that. And then I've also heard that it like depends, you know, if our city dollars pay for it or not. So I don't really know. But I think that right. people, especially if they do something stupid like this, where you're literally going to be traveling 5,000 miles, apparently there wasn't really that much food and, and like water. It, with right. Them. It's not fully thought through. Like this, like this is, if you traveling 5,000 miles, could it be done on a vessel that sounds like it's been described? 
Potentially. We've done it before. I mean, in human <laughs> history, we've had to have traveled long yeah. distances in open water, right? But I don't know. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I mean, just still wonder where the, like, he's, he's got a history on it now too. So I wonder when his next attempt is going to be like, and what that's going to look like. I know. I know. I mean, yeah. who knows? Maybe this hamster will goes really fast and he's able to cover a lot of distance, you know, in a short period of time. Right. But yeah. I have to, you know, he's also exerting a lot of energy by doing this and by doing this. Yeah. The whole thing like just sounds the, really dumb. Yeah. The, the amount of energy he's got to consume to put out the output to be able to power that too at the same time. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's a fun, yeah. interesting story. Gotta love those Florida men. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, Franklin Armory. One of the binary triggers that I'm most excited to try out is, especially with the cost of ammo these days, is the 22-C1 for the Ruger 1022. That's right. There's a binary trigger out there for 22 and now with 22 Plinksters edition, it's a drop in. So it's even easier to install. That was like the one thing that I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to deal with it because it wasn't a drop in trigger. But now it's like you don't really have any excuses. Yeah, I really want to get my hands on one. And then they also have something else coming out. I actually have a call with them later today and there's supposed to be something. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to give any hints because I've done that in the past and it has, you know, kind of gotten me in trouble before, but <laughs> I'm pretty excited for this if it does come to fruition here pretty soon. In the meantime, if you guys head on over to franklinarmory.com, use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, you're going to get 10% off your entire order. And now it's time to wrap up, but obviously the show wouldn't be complete if we didn't have reviews. And I greatly appreciate you guys leaving reviews. Thank you so much. Like yesterday, or not yesterday, oh gosh, the last show, I kind of complained a little bit. And I was like, cool, no reviews. Thanks, guys. Like when I request them, you guys follow through. And then just for, you know, just to leave a review. But yeah, like so people came through and they left a review. So the first one is Devin, who doesn't like Apple, which is so fair, because if you ask me, if you're like, I don't know how to leave a review, I think you have to do you have to do it on a, a desktop. You can't do it on your phone if you don't have an iPhone. There is kind of a way around it, but it has to be on your desktop. Anyways, Devin, who doesn't like Apple, titled Love Gun Funny, five stars. I discovered Ava and Gun Funny in 2020, cutting the grass on the side while laid off for COVID. Ava is fantastic. She knows when to be funny in her podcast, but she also knows when to be serious. Well, tell my tell that to my parents, you know, or... Well, I guess my dad, but unfortunately, when it comes to politics in this day and age, there's only room for seriousness, but she always finds a way to be funny. I have been a $5 Patreon for a while now. Ava and the group on Facebook have become friends to me in a weird online kind of way. Pretty great. I got to pay $5 a month to get friends sarcasm, which is so funny. <laughs> and it's like so true, though, because I I have become like really good friends with all of my patrons sure. that are in this group. Yeah. And it's like some of them I've never met in person or eventually I'll meet them in person, maybe at an event or something. But like, it's kind of weird how like close we are when we've never really met. And so it's like, I do have my internet friends, which I'm like, cool, mm -hmm. that makes me sound like the biggest nerd ever, but it's kind of true. It, yeah. It's amazing kind of how our culture has evolved to this kind of digital space and how we have these 
these alignments of people with commonality and common thinking and common interest. And you get really close, even though you, like you said, you've never met them in person. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Mm -hmm. And then he wraps off with, I just want to note, I literally reactivated a 15 ish year old iTunes account for this. I highly recommend the podcast and also becoming a GF Patreon. That was pretty funny. That was, that was a good review. I appreciate that. Next is love and frustration, leaving a review as requested five stars. Enjoyed your birthday podcast. I usually watch on YouTube, but glad to give some support here. Also, don't be in such a rush to grow up. Try to enjoy yourself and keep smiling. AJ. Both of those reviews are really nice, but Travis, I want you to pick a lucky winner out of the two, the first or the second to win a prize pack. Oh, that's a, I'm going to have to go with the first one just because I I like it when a guy throws in a little sarcasm. It's always, it's always fun and well-timed. I'm going to go with the first one. I mean, sarcasm is what gets me through life. So I have to agree with you. All right. So Devin contact me and I will send that out, which I don't think I've actually sent out prize packs in I don't know, maybe a month or so. So if you guys haven't received yours, stay patient. It will come. It's, it will always come. It's just a matter of, you know, how timely. Mm-hmm. All right. So now time to wrap up the show. If you guys enjoy it and you want to support it, consider becoming a patron. You automatically get access to our patron only Facebook group, which like I said, we're like a little family there, but don't join if you get offended um, because we, I mean, we joke like a lot in that group. Um, and then also you get entered to win a $300 gift certificate from Blown Deadline, who does amazing Cerakote jobs. And then if you're a $5 and up patron, after becoming a patron for three months, you'll get a patron only patch, which will never be for sale. So, you know, if you have that patch, you're kind of part of the cool kids club. Also wanted to thank the $25 patrons who are Corvin Bonafide, Sake Holsters, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore. Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Tristan Smith, Melissa Ridings, who is the person who helped me shoot to a mile, and then William Nave, who actually just messaged me and he's sending a flannel my way. So again, we're kind of like a nice close-knit little family. And then King of the Patreon is Jon Snow. And Travis, thank you so much for taking the time to educate us on the history and even just like the premium side of things. Like that we in the industry typically don't see or hear of. I mean, mostly because most of us would have to sell our houses to be able to afford one, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) But (laughs) it's really cool to like learn that side of the gun industry. So thank you so much for filling us in on that. Can you just remind listeners once again, where they can find Beretta in the US, but also if they want to check out any of the like really cool stuff that you talked about, what was that website again? Yep. Uh, I would invite everybody to go to Beretta.com and then you look for the Pietro Beretta section. Um, there's also there's a couple pathways to do that. Uh, Beretta.com and then you'll see forward slash EN dash US, delete the US and the dash, and you'll go to the Italian site in English. You can still view it. And then you go to the PB selection and underneath there, you'll be able to see a lot of the special projects that have been done and sort of the premium luxury side of it. A lot of the one of ones that we spoke of today. Very cool. And or visit New York 
if anybody out there wants to visit New York City and wants to have an oasis of firearms, please come to the Breda Gallery in New York City, 63rd and Madison. You can come in and see there. We do have some of those special projects there. We also have Hemingway's gun. So that's that. And then if you find yourself to Dallas, which I'm assuming a lot more will be more than happy to go to Dallas. We have our location there in Highland Park Village. Okay, cool. All right. Well, on that note, guys, I'm out of here. Travis is out of here and I will talk to you next week. Ciao. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.